Welcome to the Final Draft Great Conversations podcast. Today's great conversation is with Elodie Cheeseman. The Final Draft Great Conversations podcast is all about books, writing, and literary culture. I'm Andrew Popel. Every week I broadcast Final Draft from the studios of 2SER in Sydney. Final Draft is dedicated to exploring Australian writing, from debut authors to household names. Every week we look into the issues that drive our storytelling and help you discover more from the books you love. These are the stories that make us who we are. 2SER broadcast from the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and I'm recording on the lands of the Darug and Gunungurra people. I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of those lands, unceded lands. I want to pay my respects to their ongoing connection to their lands. Elodie Cheeseman is a Sydney-based lawyer, and she'll be joining us today with her debut novel, Love in Theory. Romy is a graduate lawyer. Her work sees her taking a deep dive into the relationships that corporations have with their employees, and Romy's finding that often... These relationships look more like intimate romantic partnerships than anything she's got on her personal calendar at the moment. Romy's parents worry she's not dating. Her mates think she's got a type. Maybe he's even being a bit picky. And Romy wonders if the guys that she is interested in are setting her relationships up to fail. When she's introduced to the ultimate stopping point theory, she wonders if maybe there's another way to go about finding the one. Romy has to apply ruthless legal logic to relationships in her work, so why not try a little bit of that algorithmic thinking to her non-existent dating life? My conversation with Elodie is a two-parter, and in part one, discover a little bit about modern dating and how lockdown life is looking for us all at the moment. Join me as we discover Elodie Cheeseman's love in theory. Hello, Elodie speaking. Hello, Elodie. It's Andrew Popel calling from 2SER. How are you? I'm well, thanks. How are you, Andrew? I am quite well. Is it a good time for us to be chatting about love in theory? Yeah, definitely. Fantastic. <laughs> Wonderful to finally get to chat. I've um, had a Yeah, such thank a... you so much for accommodating my schedule. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. Not at all. It occurred in the back of my brain before um, we, I was sort of setting up the interview that Yes, you are also um, a working lawyer and that you um, you might still be, you know, sort of on tools, so to speak. Um, and what was it? You were in court last week, so. Yeah, so last week was a court week and um, this week, thankfully, is a bit, bit quieter. So it, it, it's interesting. Um, no cat? No cat uh, lawyers yet? <laughs> I haven't seen any any cat lawyers. Oh, I love it. I love it. We don't have to. We don't have to talk Zoom. I mean, I feel like it's been it's been a um, almost a, a must for every conversation I've had in the last year to either talk about audio quality, the type of microphone you're using, or just <laughs> how about all these video streaming platforms. I'm loving the chance that we're going to get to talk about love in theory. Mm-hmm. Um, I pronounce your first name Elodie. You cleared that up for yep, me when you answered nice. the phone. Always introduce myself and pe- just to make it easier for people. <laughs> melody, like melody without the end. So spot on. On the on the topic of pronunciation, so I have pronounced my protagonist's name Romy, which I so I took that from Romy and Michelle's high school reunion. That's where I got the name from. Um, but I was informed when they were doing the audio book that um, more typically it's pronounced Romy and that's how people have been pronouncing it. So very happy for people to say it however, but um, I've, I've said Romy. Do you know what? Like, if you are going to go to the trouble of inventing an entire world and populating it with people, <laughs> we, will, we will damn well use your pronunciations. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, you've you've just cleared up for me. I've never seen that film, so um, I I was I I you've cleared up that I've been pronouncing the title of that film incorrectly. Um, oh, there you go. Well, I think it's a bit of a cult film, so I'm, small I, select group of people love it. Have seen it, not not as widespread as I thought. I um, initially, I sometimes tongue in cheek tell people that I don't have because I read so many books. I don't have the attention span for films, um, so I don't I don't see a lot of films. Um, so I, I I've I've missed I've missed that one. Um, and now that you know Friends is doing a reunion, it just kind of really dates. Um, you know, some of those those kind of cultural moments. Yeah. If I'm so. going to go back and watch the 90s, I'll probably be watching, like, Legally Blonde or something like that, <laughs> Clueless. Yeah. Well, uh, should we get talking on Love in Theory? Yeah, definitely. I have a fantastic new book to introduce to you, a, a very Sydney book, which feels like something we need at the moment since none of us are getting up and around and, you know, actually enjoying Sydney. Uh, today on the show, I'm going to introduce to you Elodie Cheeseman's Love in Theory. Elodie is a Sydney-based lawyer. Love in Theory is her first novel, and it is my great pleasure to welcome her to the show. Elodie, welcome. Hi, Andrew. Thanks so much for having me. Now, in Love in Theory, we meet Romy. She's a graduate lawyer. Her work sees her taking a deep dive into the relationships corporations have with their employees, and she's finding that often those look more like intimate romantic partnerships than anything she's got on her personal calendar at the moment. Romy's parents worry that she's not dating. Her mates think that maybe she's got a type and is being picky. Even Romy wonders if the guys she's interested in set up their relationships to fail. When she's introduced to ultimate, the optimal stopping point theory, she wonders if maybe there's another way to go about finding love. Romy has to apply ruthless legal logic to the relationships in her work, so why not try a little bit of algorithmic thinking to her non-existent dating life? I, there are so many things I want to talk about in this book, Elodie, and you've given us a book full of people, people going on dates in Sydney attending parties, being physically near each other. Right now, it feels like it should come in shrink wrap plastic with a content warning. Um, how are you going with your lockdown and, um, and you know, living the opposite of this world you've created? Yeah, well, it's a um, stark contrast. When I wrote Love in Theory, I was very much out and about exploring Sydney, um, going on dates and navigating that world. And here I am in my home, working from home, um, doing all the standard Zoom calls, Microsoft Teams calls. Um, I, I'm finding it very different. Um, and, yeah, really hoping that we can get this situation under control and all get out in the world again. It was so strange for me um, reading along and – like you, a lot of the a lot of the book populates a neighborhood that I used to live in and places that I used to go. I'm I'm pretty sure I haven't been on at least one date to the Art Gallery of New South Wales. It it felt it felt wonderfully making me jealous. It's I mean, where, where are we going to start? There are so many places, but you're taking a look, or in taking a look at this sort of modern millennial love. You're kind of you're acknowledging that there are constant changes to the way that we approach relationships. Now, as we're all living our lives vicariously through Zoom at the moment, and all of our relationships seem like they're going online, do you think though that relationships have really changed, 
Or are we just conducting them now through a different medium? I think the nature of dating and relationships has changed in that I think pre-internet dating when people would meet at bars or meet at parties or be introduced by mutual friends, what came first was chemistry and attraction. People would meet, they'd have that moment and then maybe keep going out, get to know each other a bit more and then they'd be thinking about compatibility. Do we have similar interests? Do we have similar values? How do we see our lives intertwining? But now with dating apps, with online dating, people put compatibility and I guess the the things that you look for on paper first. So maybe they're looking at what does this person do for work? Um, You know, do they say that they like dogs? What are their interests? And they try and line those things up first before actually meeting. And and it's interesting. I've some of my friends and the people that I've spoken to, maybe they go on a date and they meet in person after weeks, um, speaking to someone over text um, or sending emails or something like that. And so I think there's a kind of the, the delaying of meeting and seeing whether there is that in-person chemistry that, that does kind of change maybe the way that the relationships play out and ultimately the, the kind of pool of people that um, people end up with. And I guess if you're going to think about relationships in that way, if you are going to be looking at maybe the things you value that they value, what the intersection is, you know, how do you gel when you're having a conversation? You you want to have a bit of a framework. And Romy's parents introduce her to optimal stopping theory. And it's this way of calculating the best time to make a decision, any decision, when there seems to be a set of choices that could, in theory, go on endlessly. Now, I, I had, I did read, I did a little bit of background, and I read that the theory has been applied in in human relationship areas, you know, such as maybe choosing the right candidate for a job. How did the idea come to you, and why did you want to apply it to love? I first learned about this theory from a mathematician called Hannah Fry, and she's really interesting because she takes mathematical theories and she applies them to real life situations. And in this case, she was looking at love. I think she wrote a book called The Mathematics of Love and she'd done a TED talk about that. And you're you're right that this theory has been used in all kinds of contexts. And I think another name for it is the secretary problem. Um, So what the theory does is it provides this mathematical solution to the question of when to stop. And yes, in, in job interviews, it might be when do you stop interviewing and when do you choose the the candidate that you're going to employ and I just thought it was a really um, interesting framework to apply to relationships because it provides a solution to the question of when is the best time to settle down and so to um, to give listeners an overview what the theory says is that if you're going to have the best chance of ending up with the one what you should do is reject the first 37% of people that you date and that might be based on the total number of people that you want to date before you settle down or the length of time that you want to spend dating and then you choose the next person that you date who's better than anyone you've ever dated before and that'll give you the best chance also a 37% chance 
of ending up with the best person for you. And the reason that I was inspired to bring this into my novel and use it as the framework for Romy's romantic journey is that love is such a, I mean, it's such a kind of complicated area and I think it's a, a question that plagues most people. How, how do I know when I have met the, the one? How do I go about dating? Are there any rules? Is, is there any um, guidance that I can, to, can take to make this strange and complex journey a bit easier? And maths and science can provide this framework um, which, at least for Romy, she, she finds it gives her a bit of comfort to try and, um, yeah, go, go about dating using some of these ideas. I want to pick up um, on something but, I just heard you say there about, um, about bringing this into your novel. Did, was there a version of this story that existed before Optimal Stopping Theory came in? Did, did Romy have a love life before she met mathematics? Um, so through various versions of the novel, there was always um, there was always the kernel of optimal stopping theory and the academic theories coming in to guide Romy. But different versions had different degrees um, degrees of these theories, and at, in some versions, Romy was less reliant on them. Um, and then this ultimate version, she she does use it as a as a framework. Um, so I, I always wanted to use these ideas, but I had to work out as I was writing it how much I wanted to to bring in because I mean it, there's a there's a balance in terms of some of the theories could be a bit dry if they if they're not given more context and if they're not fleshed out by um, you know, real experiences. Um, I didn't want Romy to live completely in her head. And let's not do that ourselves either, because I, while I do want to get into the the, the ways that, uh, I guess, a mathematical theory can be successfully overlaid on people, let's just test whether it actually worked. And, and we can see, you know, that loosely applying the theory leads Romy to Hans. It even helps her rationalise some aspects of their relationship. And, and this is kind of a perfect on-paper approach where... Romy has set up kind of a paradigm for what she wants and she does she does get sort of other other ideas and advice about searching for traits that align with hers but Romy's also challenged by her friends to be searching for you know the spark do you think that it's useful to kind of have these this multitude of ideas or or can there be just sort of a one size approach to love I think it's probably useful to get a lot of different perspectives and to take everything with a grain of salt. I think most people, I mean, life is about figuring yourself out and trying to figure out what you want and other people's experience and advice and, yes, even the um, conventional wisdom and, and maybe some theories they can they can guide you and they can inform how you go about your journey. Um, but everyone everyone's different and and everyone wants different things and needs different things. So I think everything needs to be taken with that grain of salt. 
Yeah. One thing, uh, one thing that you really beautifully portray, sorry, I've interrupted you there, but one thing no, that you, no. you really beautifully portray in Love in Theory is uh, the ways that a new romantic partner can enter a friendship group and you have kind of established dynamics and how is this new partner going to impact the group dynamic? And I feel like there's going to be very few people who don't have an experience of the new romantic partner being the, well, we, we always knew they weren't right for you type. And then also the he's perfect or she's perfect, do anything to keep them here. You know, we'll, we'll keep them and get rid of you type of scenario. <laughs> is that, is that something that, that is really important? I mean, it, it emerges so in Romy's uh, situation. I think so. Um, at the risk of going back into the theories, um, one of the ideas that I wanted to explore was that idea of Dunbar number, which is how many relationships can a person comfortably maintain? And we all know that we have our close inner circle and they're the, per- the people that we, we you know, live most of our lives with. And then you have gradually increasing social circles. But within that, close-knit circle. I mean, it's pretty important that everyone gets on. Um, you don't want conflict within uh, amongst the, the people that you're closest to. Um, and I certainly had experiences where, you know, I've, I've seen someone and friends and family, maybe they don't, don't take too kindly to them or they just, they've got their opinion and it causes conflict and it's just, yeah, it's not ideal. So, Definitely, it's important for um, for Romy to have that harmony within her her inner circle and to try and find someone who fits within her her life and her close friendship group. And I guess having that that friendship group um, in your in your head as you pursue all your relationships is emerging as you know incredibly important. Uh, to not take well, this is going to take us a little bit away from the book, but I mean we've we've got this ever-increasing discussion uh, in Australia uh, around areas of um, partner abuse like coercive control. And one thing that, you know, can happen in those situations is a person being isolated from their friendship group. So, you know, it kind of seems like having an engaged friendship group offers something to everyone's kind of long-term safety and health. So, I mean, it's really cool that we can discuss these things because, they do have not just kind of romantic ramifications, but but much bigger ramifications. And it it, it was really interesting to see Romy uh, engaging. And I, I would probably even suspect that there are more personal conversations in the book with her friends than with um, the the romantic partners that um, that she sort of is is kind of struggling with. Hmm, I think you're. You're right. I wanted to have Romy have her her close friends who've been with her since her university days and her parents as you know, the foundation in her life. And they are the, the people that they're always there for her and um, men may come and go, but they're always going to be the people who have her back and that she can um, talk to and rely upon. And um, I think you're you're right that it's important to have have those people and not necessarily retreat into um, 
you know, the, the tiny little bubble that is very attractive when you have a romantic relationship and you maybe want to spend all that time with the person. Um, and maybe that's okay in the early days, but it's, it, it's good to be able to, um, keep other relationships with friends and family live. Um, it's also to give you a bit of perspective and, um, and to provide that ultimate support support network. Um, so I didn't want to have I didn't want to have Romy just pursuing the guy and abandon her other relationships. That's it for part one of this great conversation with Elodie Cheeseman. Elodie's debut novel is Love in Theory. It's out now from Pan Macmillan. Great Conversations is recorded on the lands of the Darug and Gunungurra people. The show is produced and presented by Andrew Popel. Stay in touch. We are on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just look for at Final Draft 2SER and subscribe in your podcast app. There will be a new Great Conversation and a little bit of bonus for you every week. I'm Andrew Popel. I will be back next week with more Great Conversations from Final Draft.